0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The scripture reading for this morning is from John twenty-one fifteen 15-25. wherever you wanted but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go he said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God and after saying this he said to him follow me Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said lord who is it that is going to betray you when peter saw him he said to jesus lord what about this man jesus said to him if it is my will that he remain until i come what is that to you you follow me so the saying spread among abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not yet to die yet jesus did not say to him that he was not to die but if it is my will that he remain until i come what is that to you this disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true now there are also many other things that jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You may be seated. Stand up comedian style. Hello?
1: Hello, test one, two, three. Good. Okay, I get to do it stand up comedian style today, so. You ever notice at airports? No, I'm just kidding. Your problem and my problem is not that we've sinned too much. It's that we've understood too little His grace. Here's what I mean by that. Most of us, if we've encountered Christ, if we've come and embraced Him and put our faith in Him as our Lord and Savior... We have said we have lived this life of sin and mistakes and we've not done enough good things. And now you've rescued us kindly and graciously. You've rescued us. And now we have this clean record. And now we're supposed to not muck it up. We're supposed to not ding up this new thing that we've been given. And yet ongoingly we look up and there's mistake after mistake after mistake. And then we've already experienced the rescue but our life is still riddled with sin and we think we've messed up the one good thing that we could have counted on that's how most of us think about it we've been rescued up into a certain point and then it's if God had looked at us and said keep the account small knock it off stop sinning and most of us have realized that the sin has gotten larger and larger and larger it's the reason that you walk around and I walk around feeling shameful instead of joyful when you think about your life with God you are immediately th- think of your sin I've been rescued now I've just messed it all up again what we're supposed to learn today is that Jesus as grace for failures like you and like me. Remember, why is Jesus reinstating Peter in this text? Remember this. Not long ago, Peter was asked if if he knew Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter replies, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. And before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And now we find Jesus drawing near to Peter. Jesus has grace for failures. Let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? Would you drown out all the distractions and pour out your spirit on us? Those who have not encountered your son, that they would experience him this morning by your spirit. And those of us that need to be reminded and refreshed, would you do that too? We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. About 11 years ago, I think 12 years ago, I became a pastor and my first job was in Houston. And in Houston, they have these massive hospitals, the cancer hospital, children's wing wards. Just as far as the eye can see, there's, this, there's actually a district in town which holds all the hospitals. And I was called to go there to pray for a family because the Hendricks family. Because, you see, they had had a baby and they knew from the ultrasound that the baby had what's called transposition of the great arteries. The heart was working backwards. It was reversed and how it was supposed to be. And so not only do they have to have this baby, then very shortly after they have the baby, the baby has to go into open-heart surgery. And I'm a new pastor, and I go and sit with this family in this surgical ward, in this children's hospital, and I'm terrified. Because I have no idea, in three or four hours as I'm sitting with them, what's going to happen, whether the the doctor's going to come out and shake his head or whether the doctor's going to come out and smile. I have no idea whether there's good news or there's bad news coming, and so awkwardly you sit there and you, you try and shoot the breeze a little bit. You ask them how they're doing, how long they've been in Houston. You ask about their work. But ultimately, you're just trying to distract them just for a moment from the fact that we're all staring at the door, waiting, terrified that bad news is coming. Joyfully. In that experience, hours later, the doctor came out and pulled off his mask and smiled and we cheered. And he said, your son is strong and he's doing great. The reason that I tell you that story is that most of us live in that moment of not knowing when the healer comes whether we're going to get good news or bad news. It's as if God is elsewhere and we're waiting on him to arrive and we're still living in the tension the anxiety the fear of we don't know whether it's going to be good news for us or bad news for us life for us or death for us because we've dinged up our records so much we're terrified that when the healer comes it'll be bad news for us and we look at this text together to be reminded that jesus has grace for failures like you and me Grace for failures like you and me. Well, first of all, he forgives him in his failure. Look with me again in verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. The significance of him asking him this The three times that he asks him is because he is communicating to Peter. Peter, as far as you have sinned, my grace comes farther. You deny me once, my grace can cover it. You deny me twice, my grace can cover it. You deny me a third time, my grace can cover it. He is reinstating Peter in this beautiful moment where he's saying, Peter, even you and all of your arrogance and all of the ways that you have thought yourself better, I can protect you. I will be your hero and your savior. John doesn't want us to miss these two happenings. The, the word charcoal is used, charcoal by the fire. Only two times in the book it's used. And Peter Peter's standing around in the cold, warming himself by a charcoal fire, having just denied the Lord for the third time. And Jesus comes to make him breakfast at a charcoal fire in John 21. It's as if Jesus is saying to him, you have fallen, but my grace is sufficient to cover all of your sin. In fact, the very places where you are the most shamed, Peter, I will provide grace. I will draw near. This is not just for Peter. I mean, Peter's the one who said, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. But it's not just Peter that disappeared. All of them It says in Mark 1450, then everyone deserted him and fled. Jesus is drawing near to Peter to remind him. That Jesus's grace is sufficient to cover all of Peter's failures and his grace is sufficient to cover yours and mine, too. In another text, it said this. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. Listen to this. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You imagine the quiet, awkwardness in that upper room they're all so brave they said even if all fall away i will never fall away and they're locked hidden away afraid of others and jesus to send them grace says go tell the disciples and peter as if to say peter i know you are In bitterness, I know you are hating yourself. I know you are in shame and in loathing, and I will draw near to you. Go tell disciples, and that one who said he'd never deny me, go tell him that I'm coming, that I'm here for you. Jesus has grace for failures. In fact, the disciple, excuse me, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, how it actually ends is Mark 16, verse 8. You'll see if you look it up in your Bibles, it'll say the earliest manuscripts don't have verses 9 through 20. It means the original text only had the first eight verses of Mark. And this is how the Gospel of Mark ends. So the women left the tomb and ran away, trembling and bewildered, and in their fear, they did not say a word to anyone. The end. God is drawing our attention to the fact that He has grace for failures. He told them it was coming. He warned them. He told them exactly what was going to happen, and He told it to them so many times. They rebuked Him for it, and still nobody was there. His disciples are hiding, locked in an upper room. His, the faithful women who followed Him, they went to dress a dead body. Nobody gets it. Nobody was faithful. Nobody was there. And why would the Bible hammer that so hard into our hearts? It's because he knows that we're not going to be faithful enough. We're not going to get it. We're going to have doubts. We're going to have setbacks. We're going to have failures. We don't get it. We don't get it done. And the Bible says God has grace for those who don't get it done. God has grace for failures. Have you failed him? Have you accepted all the grace you needed to be saved and then made a mess of your life? Have you failed him? God has grace for you. Have you done what you promised you would never do again? God has grace for you. You see the beauty of it. They don't, and we don't even know all of the ways that we have failed God. When we confess our sin, it's to remind each other and remind ourselves the ways that we are failing God ongoingly. But what really what is true is you and I will never know all of the sin that we sinned against God. We'll never know all of the ugly thoughts and muttered words, all of the things that we've done. We'll never know the whole amount. And yet he saved us anyway. Jesus has grace for failures. Just to emphasize this to you one more way, in the end of Luke, Jesus is walking with a couple of the disciples, and he, for somehow, we don't understand it, we can't quite explain how he's done this, but he's disguised himself from them seeing that he's Jesus as he's going with them on this walk. He's disguised himself, and so they don't know, and they said, surely you've heard about all the things that are happening in Jerusalem, and Jesus goes, what things? Which is how you know Jesus has a sense of humor. What things? And they go, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Listen to this. This is the end of the gospels. Jesus has conquered death, sin, and the devil. And these are the guys who knew him the most. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucify him. But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Do you see the beauty of that? These are the guys who are supposed to know better. And Jesus dies for their sin and conquers the grave and they're still thinking he failed. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Jesus is used to dealing with failures. After God gave Adam to eat, excuse me, after God gave Eve to Adam, Adam tattledailed on his wife. After God gave the rainbow to Noah, Noah got drunk. After God gave the Abraham the promise of land and a future and a children, Abraham gave up his wife two different times. After God saved Moses from the Egyptians, Moses pretended to be God. After God made David king of all Israel, David committed adultery and had someone killed. After God let Solomon build the temple of Israel, the magnificent temple, Solomon accumulated 700 wives. After God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah ran from God. After Jesus says, the first shall be last, the disciples sit and argue about which one of them is the greatest. The Bible graciously and systematically dismantles all the heroes in the Bible so that you will realize Jesus came for failures. Jesus came for. For ones who don't get it right, who promise to do better and then fall on their face again. Jesus didn't come for healthy people. Jesus didn't come for good people. The sin that which is supposed to ongoingly remind you that, yes, I'm one of Jesus's, I'm one of His own, and He came to rescue you, you actually let it trick you into thinking that I can't be one of God's because I'm still sinning. Martin Luther once powerfully said when Satan reminds you that you're a sinner. Thank God, because Christ died for sinners. The very things that are supposed to give you a deepening appreciation for Jesus and all of his love for you are the very things that make you shrink back, afraid that you won't be accepted. Friends, don't be surprised at your ongoing sin or at mine. When you want to, if you want to grow in your love for Jesus, look extensively and intently at the most subtle, insidious sins. And then realize Jesus died for sins you never even bother to bring up. Jesus died for sins that you will never even remember that you committed. Jesus died for sins that you don't know that you needed him to die for. The grace is that extensive. Three denials, three reinstatements for Peter. Jesus died for failures like you and me. Not for ones who turn it all around. We see even in this text, Peter gets reinstated. And we'll talk about this in a minute. Peter gets reinstated. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. It's like, oh, Peter, you're finally back. You're reinstated. You're one of the disciples again. And Peter goes, what about John? I want what John gets. You're like, Peter, you can't help yourself. Every 10 seconds you fall into sin. And later in the New Testament, we'll see even more sin as Peter pretends that people have to be Jewish in order to become Christian. And he falls again. And part of why the Bible does that to you is to encourage you that If you know your need of Jesus, your embrace of Him will get bigger and stronger because your sense of your own sin will get bigger and stronger. C.S. Lewis once said, no man knows how bad he is until he tries very hard to be good. Christ died for failures. If that's you and you're still punishing yourself for not turning it all the way around, for still messing up, for still returning to your sin, take comfort. Take comfort that Peter still doesn't get it. Jesus is used to dealing with those who don't get it. Not only is there grace for your failures, but we're forgiven for service. Did you see it in there? If you love me, Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. In other words, he's saying, if you love me, you will go and love the sheep, love the people in the church. What that means for us is is that you were not forgiven to sit and feel forgiven. You were not saved in order to be saved. Does that make sense? You're saved from something, but you're also saved for something. And what happens is is that we get lost staring at the saved from something. Oh, it's so bad, and yet he forgives me, he loves me, I feel better. Oh, look, I failed again, oh, he loves me, it's still better. It was so much that we miss out on the entire that you were saved for something. That God graciously takes Peter's eyes off of his past and says, go and do something now in the future. If you stare back at the past, there's nothing but death for you there. Go and have a new future of loving and serving the sheep. You weren't just saved from something. You're saved for something. Peter is not just supposed to appreciate the grace. Jesus calls him to do the next thing. You know this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. You know what it says yet next? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Following Jesus means caring for the people of the church. You can't follow Jesus and not love his church and that is news to my generation my generation is is famous for saying things like i'm spiritual but not religious or i love jesus but you his church is too messed up and it is messed up but it's not ours to leave it's not ours to leave there's a growing sense that you can be for jesus but not care about his church and jesus ends that right here when he says if you love me Go feed the sheep. Go feed the lambs. Go take care of the sheep. Yes, the church is messed up. Yes, the church will hurt you. Some of you have wounds from a church which has made you feel neglected or overlooked or marginalized. Some of you have had a church made you feel so shamed for a particular sin. It's that wound that this church needs you for. Because now you're free to go and do better than was done by you. When someone made you feel shamed for a particular sin, then you can go and pour grace on people in this church who struggle with that particular sin. When you have been wounded and overlooked and marginalized, then you can be in this place, one who always looks out for the marginalized and the overlooked. Do you see? The very wounds that you have are the very channels of God's grace for other people. Peter's the one who said, I'd never deny you. That guy, the guy who said, even if all fall away, I won't. And you know what he has to do next? He has to go tell everybody about Jesus, that Jesus is real and he does know. him. What are the avenues in your life? The very sin, the very suffering, the very wounds that are supposed to be a channel of grace, but instead you're, si- you're still sitting back on your heels saying, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. My job is forgiven to be Feel forgiven. We've missed this beautiful part where we're called to live for something bigger than ourselves. You were not saved in order to be saved. You were not forgiven in order to feel forgiven. You were saved for something more. Are you living it? Are you living it here? You see, he's been forgiven in his failure. He's been forgiven so that he can go and serve. And he's been forgiven so that he can follow Jesus. Listen to this in 18 through 20. I'm sorry, 20. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. The one whom Jesus loved following them. The one who was also leaned back against him during supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And then Jesus says, follow me. Peter, once again, even after he's denied Christ, even after he awkwardly can barely look at him during breakfast and Jesus reinstates him, As a leader in the church, saying, No matter how far your sin, my grace goes farther. And even after all of that, Peter turns and sees John and goes, What about him? I want John's story to be my story. And we do that too. We get forgiven and restored, and then we spend the rest of our life looking at other people's stories and saying, I want that to be my story. I want that to be my narrative. I want my experience of Jesus to be more like this. This person seems to experience him this way. I want it to be like that. And in doing that, Peter misses out on all the things God has done to bring restoration to Peter. And when you're looking at other people's lives, longing for their story, longing for their narrative, what you're saying is is that you've totally missed all of the ways in which God has brought healing and grace to your story. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Friends, Jesus has grace for failures. Jesus can turn failures into his servants who go and love and serve others. Jesus says, Come follow me. That the sin that you're resenting yourself. Four is the very thing that God can use to bring grace and healing to others. We'll close here. One of my mentors and pastors in my life was going to General Assembly one year. His uh, General Assembly for those of you who aren't near or new that are near to church. It's essentially when all these elders and pastors and people gather, and there are conferences and there are meetings about the church. And oftentimes at dinner, they have different gatherings of different pastors who will come together and hang out. And my mentor pastor sort of become famous in the denomination, and he was running late from a meeting, and he walks in, and one of his former students, one of the people he taught preaching to, was sitting down in the lobby of the church, excuse me, sitting down in the lobby of the restaurant. And he sort of sees him on the ground and then sees the whole party going on inside, and he walks over to him and he goes, hey man, get up, come in there with me. It was a discouraged pastor hanging his head. And he said, I don't belong in there. I don't belong in there. Look at all those people slapping each other's backs. Their churches are growing. They're writing books and blogs. They're being asked to speak at other places. And I'm a pastor of a failing church. I'm a failure. I'm going to go. And he stood up to leave my mentor grabbed his arm and walked him over to the room full of pastors he said you see that guy that guy's a former moderator and a professed alcoholic you see that guy over there that guy just got fired for the second time in a very short season you see that guy over there he struggles with same-sex attraction you see that guy He battles with depression and anxiety. This guy over here ruined his marriage with an affair. And he said, and you know, I already know that I battle with depression. He looked at the young pastor and said, is there anyone in there that you're worse off than? He looked down at the young pastor and said, welcome to the island of misfit toys. You're welcome with us. The young pastor got up and followed him into the dinner. Friends, there are those of you who don't feel worthy of grace. There are those who feel they've messed it up too much. There are those who feel like they haven't made enough progress on fighting their sin, who haven't become the kind of person that they were hoping to be, who aren't there yet. Friends, welcome to the island of misfit toys. You are welcome here. Let's pray. Jesus, for those in the room who think they've outsinned your grace, I pray that you'd remind them powerfully at this table as far as our grace as far as our sin goes, your grace goes further. Remind us that. But Jesus has grace for failures. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.